So I guess we'll start off the podcast with the biggest news of the off season. Have y'all heard about this? I can't believe it's not butter shit. Like it's not butter, but it is butter. It tastes absolutely nothing like butter, and Paula Deen is crying right now because you think it tastes like butter. <laughs> it tastes just like butter. It tastes nothing like butter. Uh, all right, fine. In all seriousness, how dare you? In all seriousness, I'm so offended. You won't do it. Urban Meyer is retiring. Not allegedly. Allegedly. So he's on administrative leave, but. I, I mean, I think I saw something on the college football subreddit where someone said administrative leave equals the lawyers hammering out the exit strategy. Well, I, I mean, now ESPN is reporting that he's going to be retiring at the top of the hour. But this is the same sports network that spent their MLB trade deadline broadcast talking about LeBron James for an hour. So I don't know how much I trust them, but it does make for an interesting news story. Uh well, with all that said, we're talking about the ACC. I really don't want to talk about the ACC because talking about the ACC makes me talk about Georgia Tech. Making me talk about Georgia Tech makes me worry about how good of a team we're going to be. And then it makes me come to face-to-face with my own mortality and the fact that my life is a downward spiral that I can never escape from. <sighs> Joining me today is Andrew. How's it going, Andrew? Well, you know, not too bad. It's been raining a lot up here. To the point that I almost thought I'd have to buy a boat the other day. And I can't afford a boat. <laughs> why Why not? Just buy a yacht and sail off into the sunset. Yachts cost money. Yacht gas costs money. Yacht crews cost money. I mean, unless you're telling me to steal a yacht and be a pirate. Point, point, point. But, but Somalia's so far away. It's been far away for far too long. Oh, speaking of someone else who's very far away... On the other line, we have Artem. How's it going today, Artem? It's going good. Some of this news is going to be pretty interesting in the next couple of days. It'll probably shake up the football world. And I can't believe it's not butter. See, there you go. Artem agrees with me. They're all terrible people. By the way, Artem, I hear you've got a special guest with you over there. Uh, care to introduce her? Uh, nope, she, she's going to remain anonymous. She's a five-month-old analyst. She's got her own ideas, but... They're pretty, uh, pretty out there. I don't know if you guys didn't want to hear them. I mean, they're probably better than a lot of the talking heads nowadays, so... I mean, can't she answer what we all want to know, which is, does she believe it is not butter? That's the, the real question. <laughs> I'm going to keep pulling. She's remaining silent, so she agrees. Okay, there you go. Because <laughs> as we know, silence means yes. I hope that your cornbread is forever not buttered enough you disgust <laughs> sirs so wait if they put my my question now at the state fair they got deep fried butter oh it's 100 real butter okay you think the state fair is going to use any of that fake butter <laughs> bullshit no i'm just wondering if it would be healthier if they did <laughs> this is like first of all if you're going to the state fair looking for healthy then i got some beachfront property in north dakota i'll sell you for a good deal too so anyway, this is a college football podcast. We're talking about the ACC. I guess to start things off, the ACC has, I would say, some of the most anxious teams. There's a lot of anxiety going on in the ACC right now because a lot of these teams have had very stressful off seasons. Obviously, you're looking at Virginia Tech, who is looking to be a top team. They've lost like nine members of their defense. Yeah, it's it's going to be a young 
a young defense for Bud Foster, Virginia Tech. So you've it'll got, be interesting to see. You've got Louisville, where they just lost their Heisman Trophy. Well, I didn't, he didn't actually win a Heisman Trophy. He won one. He won one. Okay. But I mean, but he's look. you know he's a generational talent. Yeah, I'm kind of excited. He actually played. We'll play tomorrow night in the Hall of Fame game. Oh, that because be the Hall of Fame game. I think it's Raiders Bears. Oh, huh? I didn't realize. Um, yeah, it's tomorrow night. Oh. Which to me, the Hall of Fame game is like the official into football. You mean it's I, not the MLS uh, All Star game that's going on right now? I don't watch NAIA football, so Fo- why would foot- I watch the MLS? Football. <laughs> I mean, I watch Division One. FBS football because it's the best. It's the reason I watch the English Premier League or La Liga. And, and I don't watch the MLS. And you also watch the Canadian Football League. It's only because Johnny Manziel is getting his first start on Friday. Okay. For uh, the Montreal Alouettes. I honestly, Artem, I know you're kind of juggling things. Do you have anything to weigh in about uh, Manziel's first start? So I read a, an article of why they traded him and why he's on this other team now. And... It's all good things, actually. Uh, supposedly, he was traded because uh, the guy ahead of him has been there for a season. He was like a record holder for CFL last year, and he's still starting. So they're like, if this guy keeps starting, we're never going to put Manziel in. We also only have him for two years, and from what we can tell, like his he's uh, he's going to go on and do big things somewhere. If like if we're not we're not going to be able to book him for any more than two years, and they're saying he's going to be in the NFL soon. So. Um, they're saying they traded him because it's a win-win for both situations. He probably would never start uh, unless uh, Mansoli or whatever his name got hurt. Um, uh, and now they're they're saying his stock is high, so why not sell him to the next you know team that wants him and pick up what two first-round picks in the next three years uh, and two offensive players out of it for the team that's already leading the league. So it was a win-win for both and. Uh, I wasn't able to watch last week's game that uh, he didn't play him, but they're, they're saying he would. Uh, Vernon Adams Jr., if you guys remember him, is he used to play for Oregon. He was a quarterback I think, a year or two ago over there. Okay. He started last game, and uh, he didn't do so well. So uh, I guess he's been practicing, first, taking first-team snaps this whole week, and he's getting his first start this Friday. Kind of excited. Um Honestly, their logo, the Alouettes logo, looks cooler than most NFL logos. Yeah, the, you guys have seen it. Yet. And the uh, like, the Canadian Football League is actually pretty fun to watch. It's it's got a couple of different rules. It's got a lot of different rules. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, the field's longer. They only have three downs. They have twelve players. You can be in motion towards the line of scrimmage yeah. for the snap. Like it's a weird mix of some arena league football rules, some other rules. But it's I'm I'm excited. I think it'll be fun to watch. It's on ESPN two. Should be exciting. Now, with all that said, we've gone seven minutes. We haven't really talked about college football. Can I finish my intro, please? So yeah, a lot of anxiety. As long as you take back what you said about butter. Fuck off. All right. So got a lot of anxiety in the ACC. Louisville lost their Heisman. Talked about Virginia Tech losing all their stuff on defense. FSU is coming off probably the worst season they've had in maybe a couple of decades. I just can't remember back to the last time they had a season that bad. Of course, you've got the standard teams like Boston College, Syracuse, uh, and Pitt, who are kind of worried about what they've got going on. Georgia Tech, obviously anxious to see what will happen. UNC, who came off one of the worst injury-ridden seasons last year, is hoping to improve. Duke continuously looking to improve themselves. Miami, the only team that really 
you know, is standing out as being like coming into the season without any real concerns is probably Clemson because they've got what I would say is the de- best defense in the entire college football league right now. Well, you clearly disagree with that. No, statement. no, I I agree with you, and it. God, I hate playing Clemson. I mean, I love playing Clemson every year because they're a fun team to watch, and Clemson fans are actually really cool people. But man, I mean, they Clemson's got a defensive line that. I think there's a couple NFL teams that are jealous of how talented Clemson's defensive line is. I think there's been a few coaches that made that statement, where yeah. it's just like, if this was the worst thing we could draft, it'd still be pretty good. Yeah. I mean, well, guys that can play. well, let's start there, Andrew. I mean, what is there anybody that's even going to be able to challenge Clemson this year? You know, the thing about Clemson is they dominate almost across the board, but they always seem to drop that one random game. I mean, but that's just the ACC, right? <laughs> it is to an extent, but you know, they lost to Syracuse last year. They lost to Pitt the year before. I mean, in games they really shouldn't have lost. Granted, with Syracuse, they lost their quarterback for like half the game. If I remember. Yeah, and, and I think the Pitt game he threw like they threw like three or four interceptions. I mean, they they lost because they made a lot of mistakes and had a lot of issues. You know, and so, but I mean, their schedule they've got some exciting games at Texas A and M Week Two's. I think going to be a really good game. You know, I mean, Artem can obviously talk about that a little more than I can. Um, at Florida State, obviously, is going to be a tough one. Um, it's but, all downhill from there. But, I mean, honest to goodness, I mean, they go they go to Georgia Tech, which for a long time, Bobby Dodd was a bit of a voodoo, but they kicked the shit out of us last time two years ago. So, you know, they get, they get NC State at Clemson, so that'll kind of that Carter-Finley voodoo that State fans talk about won't really impact them. You know, they go to Boston College, which can be kind of a tough game to get hyped for because that stadium's quiet and small and boring. Oh, yeah, sure. I mean, I mean whether or not the team's good, it's still kind of well, – I mean, it's we've tough seen, to – We've seen teams struggle there before. USC, to speak of a recent team. Yeah, plus, you know, Boston College has a really – you know, A.J. Dillon was the ACC preseason player of the year. So that's obviously a big part of that. You know, Clemson's biggest question to me is they've got a bit to replace at wide receiver – but, you know, they've they've recruited almost as well as anyone else in the country when you really look at it. I mean, that's one of the things that Dabo has turned that program into is just a recruiting juggernaut. As well as even when they do sign some of the lower three-star-ish kids, they always turn into be really good players. But their biggest question is, does Trevor Lawrence beat out Kelly Bryant? Bryant started last year. You know, played fairly well, had, uh, you know, 13 touchdowns to eight interceptions. They really didn't throw the ball as much as, as they had under, you know, with Deshaun Watson, who obviously was an unbelievable player. And so it'll be interesting to see if Lawrence, you know, I I think if Lawrence is going to start, it would be week three against Georgia Southern. I don't think you take a true freshman into Kyle Field to start. That's asking a lot. But I think he'll definitely get a lot of playing time in the Furman game. And also, if if Clemson struggles at AM, I think you'll see a change. I think you'll see Lawrence step in and, yeah, honest to goodness, kind of take the reins. Because, I mean, kids won everything to, there was to win in the state of Georgia at Calhoun High School. I mean, a great player. It's interesting to see, though, because he's not nearly as athletic as, say, Deshaun Watson or Kelly Bryant. Oh, yeah. So it'll be fun to see... If he ends up winning that starting job, how Tony Scott and the other co-offensive coordinator 
kind of tailor that offense to his talent because that's one of the things that that pair is really, really good at is taking their schemes and tailoring it to what their quarterback brings. Well, and I guess my mentality coming into the season is, you know, I've been a big old-school Bama fan, yada, yada, yada. Do they even really have to have that great of an offense? Like, you've got such a good defense. Good Lord, man. You can go down and kick field goals like every other drive, and you still might win the game. You might win some 9-6 games for all I know. It's I, we, we did see that against Auburn last year. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, sh- shoot, when you're that good, it's kind of interesting. I mean, what your options are. I don't think they need to be fantastic. They just need to be average at best. They, they just need to not make mistakes. Yeah. yeah you know, yeah, I mean, yeah. that's that's really, as you know, we look at the Syracuse game, we look at the Pitt games, the games they've lost. It's, it's about making mistakes. Okay, well, that's our perspective. We're in the ACC. We play them every year. We've obviously got a bit of a bias. Artem, uh, you've got views outside of the conference. Where do you stand on Clemson? You know, it's just like Andrew said. It completely depends on who's quarterbacking that team. They're not going to lose to anybody uh, they play. They're going to beat themselves, and it just depends on which game it's going to be. I'm hoping it's their second game of the year at Kyle Field because they're starting Trevor Lawrence, and he has never seen coverages like we're going to show him before. But, uh, you know, they have a first-round NFL all-pick, you know, uh, defensive line that's going to be tough to defend for anybody all year um, I think what they should do is they should tailor the whole offense to Kelly Bryant and uh, play him all year regardless of what's happening uh, but more likely what has happened in the football world and what will happen is as soon as Kelly Bryant struggles or potentially maybe even to start the season Trevor Lawrence will come in because he's a better pocket passer um, there's been crazy videos of him of you know putting the ball on a, on a dime from 65 yards out and Kelly Bryant can't do that. So um, I think their best-case scenario is stick behind Kelly Bryant, um, run an option game with him and uh, Etienne, who uh, I think rushed like 1,000 yards last season. He was really good. He had a couple really big breakaway runs uh, that sealed games. But um, I think the only team that, that can beat them is themselves. Um, they the other thing that Andrew mentioned, uh, T. Higgins is their wide receiver, one of their starting wide receivers, and he's semi-new. Uh, he only had seven receptions last year, so he's going to have to prove himself. But they also have Hunter Renfro, who <laughs> has been there for, God, what, like 10 years, I feel like. Uh, he's been part of two or three championship games. Um, so he'll, he'll be a trusted option. Um, I think they're, they're going to have to beat themselves to, to, to drop a game. And I'm hoping that's uh, Kyle Field when Trevor Lawrence can't recover this. All right. Uh, we just got Tommy on. So, Tommy, we're talking about Clemson. Uh, care to give us your view? I, I mean, since I'm just joining in, uh, just want to say hi and uh, thanks for welcoming me back. Um, talking about Clemson. Wait, wait, wait. Uh, not much Plus, to say. Tommy, besides, Tommy, Tommy. Uh, Tommy. I did... Uh, can you hear me? Yeah, we, we've got a very important question we got to ask you first. Can you believe that it's not butter? Uh, no, because it tastes even better than butter. Oh, whoa! <laughs> you, you are wrong on so many counts! You started off wrong and then went even further into wrong. Okay, Tommy, you can finish your statement on Clemson now. We've been, we've been arguing that since the podcast started. Well, I'm glad to settle that. You are dead to me. Um, But I 
do respect those people who can believe that it's not butter. I just want to put that out there. Um, best headline I found uh, when I was doing my research for the ACC was uh, doubt Clemson at your own peril. Um, I think that pretty much sums up what their season's going to be. Um, they're, they're just kind of cementing themselves as next man up. Definitely always have a bunch of first-round selections in the pipeline uh, for the next couple years and uh, recruited really well. And I think Dabo has kind of really built himself a program that's uh, pretty self-sustaining at this point um, in the way that they run things. So I know that's not getting into a lot of specifics about this season, but, I mean, if you just look up and down the roster um, and if you look at the depth chart, uh, I mean, even if they uh, they take a couple big injuries, I, I still think it's going to be really difficult for anybody to – um, unseat them. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. It's, I, that's the thing. I just can't see anybody else in the ACC challenging them. You've got maybe FSU with the same talent level, and then the next up would be Miami. And I think Miami kind of makes more sense. But let's take a second. Let's talk about the other opponent in FSU. So... I guess FSU, and you were talking about it before we even uh, got on the podcast, Andrew, FSU has certainly got the talent to get there. The problem is we just don't know what to make of the coach. Well, I've always trusted you more with coaches than I trust myself. So why don't you tell me, what what should we be expecting out of FSU this year? Is it going to be a big comeback after last last year? Um, I think so. The thing they have is they have the same question that Clemson has. You know, they've got to decide on a quarterback, be it James Blackman or DeAndre Francois. You know, Francois won the starting job last year. And so, obviously, you have to imagine he's got a chance to win the starting job again this year because injury is what took him out last season. You know, and on paper, yeah, they've got to be the second most talented team in the conference. Uh, easily, on paper. You know, they've got great running backs and Cam Akers and Jaquez Patrick. You know, the defense is always talented. You know, they kind of underperformed a little bit last year. They struggled at times. They signed a great class. I, I like Willie Taggart. I've been a fan of Willie Taggart since he was at South Florida. I think he's a great coach. I think he's, you know, he's a good fit there. He's a, he's a Florida guy. He went to Manatee High School, if I remember correctly, in Tampa. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he's definitely a guy who's, I mean, you know, quote-unquote Florida man <laughs> Well, I mean, if <laughs> through can, and through. If he can teach manatees to play football, then he can do anything. I, I believe in him. Wait, it was Manatee High, right? Yes, Manatee High School. Okay, so yeah. Um, my, the interesting thing is he, he hired a really young offensive coordinator, a guy named Walt Bell. Okay. Who played at Middle Tennessee and is kind of – you know, kind of hung hung in the background a little bit. Been, been you know, quality control, wide receivers coach. He was a tight ends coach at North Carolina for two years under Larry Fedora. He was the quarterback's coach OC at Arkansas State under Blake Anderson. He spent a year at Maryland. You know, so, I mean, it's going to be – I thought I saw somewhere that they referred to Taggart as the Gulf Coast offense. So it's it's kind of a spread type variant, you know. They're gonna put you know three and four wide out of the gun, really try to see what they can do. And I mean, again, they've got the talent, <laughs> and I think Francois is probably a better athlete than Blackman. Blackman's problem is that he's six five one seventy six. I mean, you want to talk about a twig? It's a man who gets broken in half by a Clemson defensive lineman. 
you know, now they do they do come out of the gate. Their week one game is on Monday against Virginia Tech on that Labor Day game that the ACC likes to play. So that'll really kind of be a good early test for both of those programs. It'll be interesting to see. Yeah, I mean, like you said, it's a big early test, and I think it's something that FSU needs to get over the hump, especially – I keep coming back to last year, but, again, it's just mind-blowing. They've been such a huge program in the sport for so long. It's weird to see them on such a down note. Anyway, Artem, you've got some keywords you wanted to say about FSU, so I'm going to hand it over to you. Sure. Uh, I don't know what all the hype's about about Willie Taggart. He's he left Oregon after one year. He left them at seven and five. Um, he was at Florida for four years, where he did show improvement every single season. That's pretty cool. But at the same time, before that, he was at Kentucky, where you know he didn't he didn't really do amazing. So uh, I think he's just unproven as this team will be, and uh, it just depends on how they decide that this quarterback battle. Um, Andrew mentioned they have uh, Blackman and DeAndre Francois. Uh, honestly, I think DeAndre Francois is a little bit of a better option just because Blackman came in and uh, constantly kept getting hit in the pocket as a follow-up to DeAndre. Uh, and uh, I-, I think he's a little bit rattled. Like, uh, the, what's his name? Uh, the guy that came in to play for Texas when they were playing Alabama in the national championship game and he didn't know he was going to start. He was a freshman. Ended up transferring to SMU with essentially PTSD because he kept getting hit so many times by Alabama. So um, I think Francois is the, the better option here. Um, he will probably guarantee them eight nine wins. Uh, but I, I think uh, aside from them just being unproven, I'd like to see what uh, Cam Akers will do in this new offense. You know, he's a kind of downhill type of back. He can pummel you, um, but it's it's a new offense, so. Uh, what comes with the new offense is you don't have your roster necessarily built up the way you want it to. They may have the tight end that they um, they want, but they may not have you know the full sets of wide receivers. So an injury can send them back two or three games just because they don't have the depth for the personnel at this point. But I think uh, Taggart and FSU's uh, I think they'll do better than six and six or seven and six if they want to go game. Uh, but I don't think it'll be much better. I think they'll uh, they'll be struggling to get nine wins. Uh. Well, I mean, nine wins is certainly better, but I think that's fair given the amount of talent they get. It would be surprising if they didn't get nine wins. Anyway, talking about a team that's kind of on the opposite spectrum, NC State was surprisingly good last year. Um, It was very frustrating for a lot of the other teams in North Carolina uh, because if you're up here, you know their fans get really obnoxious. So it was kind of fascinating to see uh, NC State be good. Um, and this year, they're kind of looking to keep it, everything up to par and up to step. Tommy, what do you expect to see out of NC State this year in an attempt to kind of stay on a high note uh, after last season? Well, the biggest thing about NC State to me is I, I think they lost a lot of talent on their defense, which was um, – kind of what their strength was. Um, So it'll be interesting to see how they uh, fill some of the gaps that they lost there and uh, how they kind of keep the uh, keep the momentum going from what they did last year. It's kind of a a dark horse and cementing themselves as a dark horse. The, The most interesting thing to me about NC State is when you really look at the administration and the uh, commitments that they're making they really are starting to get some buy-in and build a kind of an infrastructure, I guess, or 
or a setup to support the entire athletic association kind of up and down with football, whereas before NC State wasn't necessarily a football school. Um, they didn't pour as much money into it, and I think last year was kind of what sh- the results of that going 9-4 and four, um, and finishing as a dark horse ACC contender. Uh, their biggest issue is that they're not going to be able to beat Clemson this year. There's just too many question marks. You know, they've got Gillespie coming in as their running back, and, you know, he didn't get the start last year, even though he is probably a second, third round draft pick. I, I just don't think that they have enough starts all the way across the board. They lost not just Bradley Chubb on the defensive side, but they also lost Will Richard. Will Richardson, their left tackle, who also left early, second-team ACC guy. Um, so, really, when you look at NC State, I think they they have a lot of talent to replace their losses. It's just not quite what they were last year. Uh, so, I think 9-4 and four is reasonable, but uh, I just don't see them competing in the Atlantic. But look for them to kind of continue to be a dark horse in the next two to three years with the recruiting class they brought in. I mean, I think that's promising. Honestly, NC State fans will look for anything to get excited. They're kind of like us in the sense that they're always looking for ways to screw up things. Okay, they're always looking for their team to fall apart in some way, shape, or fashion. You want to... It's, it's colloquially referred to as NC State shit. <laughs> and it's, it's basically NC State gets a big lead, does something really, really good, and then something inexplicably bad happens. Um, there's a great, if you get a chance, Lauren Brownlow for WRAL Sports did a really good multiple-part podcast about the history of NC State shit and all of NC State shit. Don't they have, like, a whole podcast just dedicated to being, like, NC State fucks up? Uh, that's kind of, I think that's what Lauren's, <laughs> Lauren's podcast was a lot about. It's kind of the history of a lot of that. Fair enough. Well, speaking of recent fuck-ups, uh, Papa John's made some interesting decisions. Not the company itself, but uh, Big Papa in person. And guess what? They're taking his name off of uh, Louisville Stadium, which oddly enough, uh, so they've not only did they lose their Heisman quarterback, they lost one of their biggest sponsors. Well, I, I don't know. Did they lose this? You'll have to tell he, me. I'm not so, sure if they lost the sponsorship so or just the guy. Papa John was on the board of trustees at the University of Louisville, which he's no longer on, I believe. I don't know if it was the actual university or if it was just the athletic department. But they did take his name off the stadium. It was the athletic department. And if you actually look, uh, there's a lot of great pictures of students carrying his drunken self through the stadium because (laughs) he's so drunk. He is is well known for getting extremely liquored up in his suite during games. Well, that's good. And now he won't be doing that anymore. I mean, their pizza sucks anyway, so it's a moot point. Oh, okay. I don't want... Look, I've had enough arguments about butter today. Well, yeah, so. that's because you're wrong. <laughs> just just talk about football. Dave. So, Louisville is interesting because obviously losing Lamar Jackson, who's a generational-type talent, off a team that went 8-5, and five, you want to kind of go, okay, well, can they be better? I think they... It's questionable. They get a lot of talent back on offense, They've recruited fairly well for Louisville. The question will be defensively. They brought a new defensive coordinator in Brian Van Gorder, who's kind of been up and down as a D.C., was decent his first couple years at Notre Dame and kind of fell apart, was pretty good at Auburn. 
you know, a lot of guys that I've talked to that have worked with them have a lot of respect for them, so that's really going to be a question. They only get two starters back defensively, so that's going to be, you know, with a change of a coordinator, it's not as big of an offset, but it's still going to be questionable. Obviously, they open up the season against Alabama in Orlando. Uh, that's not going to end well for them. You know, their their first conference game is at Virginia, so that'll be kind of a test, but not really. You know, I think Louisville is another team that's, you know, got a chance to go to a bowl game, probably not really compete for the division, just given how good Clemson is. But I don't I don't really buy a lot of the people that are saying, oh, Louisville's going to completely fall apart. No, I think they'll still win, you know, six or seven games and play in a bowl game. Just just because you're replacing such a talent in who they had, Lamar Jackson. Well, I guess we it, just what we saw last year was that Lamar Jackson wasn't the whole team, but it sure didn't look good when he wasn't there. No, I mean he was so, pretty. He was pretty much the whole. So team. So what? What do you have faith in? Is my I mean, question. they get they get four or five offensive linemen back, which offensive line experience is always an interesting kind of conundrum because if your offensive line was terrible, but that's who you get back, is that really? You know, everyone always wants to use offensive line starts as a metric. Well, if your offensive line sucked, does the fact that they started a lot of games but still sucked really matter? Uh, <laughs> you know, they've got, you know, I, I like Jalen Smith, the wide receiver. You know, he's a big-bodied guy, pretty highly rated recruit coming out of Kentucky. The The guy expected to start a quarterback is Juwan Pass. You know, he, he played a little bit last year, not a lot. Um, unfortunately, his first start for Louisville is going to be against Alabama, as I said a second ago. So, That's probably not going to get off to a hot start. Not going to be fun. No. no. But, again, I, I think they'll make a bowl game. But, I, I, again, I, I, there's Clemson's just so much better than everyone else that I don't expect there to be much competition for that division. So, they'll make a bowl game, but what you're saying is it doesn't matter. <laughs> well, I mean, it, you know, it kind of depends on what do you define as a successful season. Okay. You know, what are, what do are Louisville fans consider success? Well, I know what Wake fans consider success, and that would be to make a bowl game. I mean, now, I'm kind of curious. I like the claw fence. I like Wake. They've got a good attitude. But I'm curious, Artem, you actively wanted to talk about Wake. So what what was your attraction? What are, what are you high on about Wake this year? Uh, it's not the high. It's the, the new familiarity, so... I look at their defense, and uh, the A&M defense coordinator, Mike Elko, spent uh, three or four years over there right before his Notre Dame stint last year. So um, they're, you know, they're, they're an interesting team because they seem to have continued some of the stuff that um, he had left over there. Uh, the team from that he had left should be finishing up now, and it's, the guys that are coming up are being trained under the new, new regime, new era, right? Um, their biggest question marks are defensive ends and their cornerbacks. Uh, they're, they had two seniors that uh, graduated a uh, defensive end, but they do have two defensive tackles who are um, their fifth-year seniors. Um, they're, they'll be coming up, and then uh, their cornerbacks honestly don't have a lot of experience. Also, for a team like Wake Forest, it's important to make field goals, and they don't honestly have a, a kicker that's named right now. Uh, the only guy they... Uh, have that's leading as a redshirt junior, but he doesn't have a lot of experience, um, so he'll have to prove himself just like everybody else on the team. Uh, their quarterback is one who, you know, he's replacing John Wolford, uh, but he uh, 
he played for him when Wolver got hurt last year, but he himself got hurt. So it'll be interesting if he's uh, if he's able to stay healthy during the season. That's probably the biggest question mark uh, <laughs> aside all the other question marks. And then their uh, their running back that will be starting only has 180 yards that's coming back from, uh, from last season. He pretty much didn't play. Um, he barely played the first five or six games. So, uh, I don't know. It's either going to be a crash and burn season for them or it's going to be kind of a Cinderella top three conference finish. So, it's it'll be interesting. Uh, I think uh, their defense will have to hold up this year, and if they do, that'll kind of prove that the system's still working, and they'll keep picking up big big recruits there and uh, continuing that that tradition on defense. Well, I mean, who knows? They've made a bowl game the past two years. If they can get another seven six season, I think I think this is a team that'd be pretty happy with that. They're not going to turn around on their coach like a lot of these other programs would. I think they'll. Given their past history, I think they'll be pretty satisfied. Yeah, so go. the one thing about Wake is that Kendall Hinton has suspended the first three games of the season. So the guy that's expected to be their starting quarterback can't play for the first three games. I don't think that really matters as much against Tulane and Towson. Uh, game three against Boston College is really going to be the big question. Also, if you really want to watch a fun, explosive player, their wide receiver, Greg Dortch, is a lot of fun to watch. In case you couldn't tell, Andrew really likes Wake I, Forest. I am, I am a big Wake Forest fan. Um, I've liked Wake Forest. They're really cool. They're really respectable, being that they're the smallest Division One football school in the country. I'm going to a game there this year. It's a lot of fun. BB&T Stadium is really cool. It's a quaint little kind of downtown uh, Winston-Salem Stadium. Oh, uh, really? I wanted to get drunk. Uh, you can also get drunk. They serve beer Okay. at Wake Forest. Oh, that's right. They, they do. do. Wake Forest serves beer. Uh, let me know when you're going. There's a really good barbecue joint in downtown Winston-Salem called Bibbs. That's absolutely delicious. We'll talk later. It's a barbecue joint in an old Firestone tire shop. Speaking of another place that you went to, Boston. Hey, look, I made a transition. Tommy, <laughs> you're talking about Boston College. Uh, I know I know Emily likes that area, so uh, why don't you tell us more about what they got going on this year? Okay, so Boston College, up until last year, uh, was... Basically, and really when I say last year, I mean the second half of last year, was known for having a really good defense that people didn't realize and the worst offense. And when I, I mean, if you look at 2015, I think their S&P rating was 125 of 128. And then in 2016, they got better to be 124 of 128, uh, which shows you that... uh, yeah, they were just really, really bad. Uh, but then all of a sudden, halfway through the season last year, after starting out 2-4, and four, they finished 5-2. and two. Anyway, to finish with BC, it all kind of comes down to their offense. Um, if, if they continue their, uh, not necessarily balanced, but if they game plan against their opponents like they did last year, if their running back and quarterback are on the same end, and if they have an outlet... Um, like their tight end provided last year, um, I, I think the three of them uh, can really win them a lot of games. And, you know, Boston College is known for defense now. They're always going to have a good one. So uh, they're pretty much going to keep them in the game um, enough for them to go bowling. So, I mean, obviously they've got a lot of talent coming back and they have surprised quite a few people as you pointed out i mean especially the way they ended their last season 
uh, turning things around in a 180 degree angle, winning those five games. So I and they've surprised. Frankly, they've been a team that has pulled a lot of upsets. I think them and Pitt have been, and maybe Syracuse have been the upset kids. So do how about this, Tommy? Do you see any teams? on the schedule that should be afraid that Boston College might pull an upset on them? Um, so if you go up and down the Atlantic, I, I think a really interesting matchup could be NC State and Boston College because I think the two schools are kind of in a similar um, stance as having that they just have question marks um, in just a few areas that keep them from getting to the next level um, that they both teams were able to answer last year um, in a number of games that really show what potential they have. Um, but I would say that that's a big upset for them. Um, outside of that, I, I, I don't know. I, I think it really depends. We'll know after two or three games which Boston College is going to show up. If their offense doesn't show up, then nobody really needs to worry. Um, but if they do start continue off the momentum they had last year, I, I pretty much everybody but Clemson, I, I'd be a little worried about. All right. Well, uh, another team that Clemson could potentially be worried about. Andrew, why don't you tell us a little bit about what they got going on in Miami? Our good friend, Mark Richt. God, you know, I was really hoping that Mark Richt would go somewhere that we didn't play them because... I really respect the guy. I mean, he's a great guy. Every time I ever met him, he was really you know, a good guy to talk to. Great dude. We, we've had this conversation before. People can be really fun. They can still annoy the shit out of you. True. But, you know, I mean, I respected the guy as a coach. He was always a, a pretty upstanding guy to talk to. Uh, Miami, obviously, they won the, the Coastal last year for the first time ever. They've got a lot of guys coming back. You know, again, they're on paper probably the most talented team in the Coastal in my mind. And, but Miami's been the most talented team in the Coastal just about every year they've been there, and they've only won it once. And so, you know, there, there's allegedly going to be a quarterback battle because fans weren't really happy with Malik Rozier. You know, I mean, I think the guy, 26 touchdowns to 14 interceptions is going to be a question mark. A 54% completion rate is going to be a question mark. You know, the guy is competing with Nikosi Perry is, a, I think, more of an athletic, a little more of an athletic player than Rozier. So it'll be interesting to see what... Mark Rick tries to do with, with a slightly more athletic quarterback. You know, Manny Diaz is the D.C., which Diaz is a fun guy because his dad was the mayor of Miami at one time. No shit. Yeah. Manny Diaz's dad was the mayor of Miami, I mean, back, I think, 60s or so. Um, he's a really interesting defensive coordinator because at one time, he was one of the only D.C.s that I remember who still taught a lot of spot drop zone instead of pattern match zone where the difference is with pattern match zone is you adjust your zone almost completely off of what the receiver runs as opposed to a spot drop where you drop to a spot and then kind of play the receivers huh so it's kind of like a in a sense it's like a read for the defense where you're making the call before it even kind of a, a pattern match is a lot more pattern match is what nick saban's known for most of Saban's defenses are on some level a pattern match style defense. That's a harder defense to run if I'm understanding it. Can, it, it, it can be. I mean, it's it's really heavily predicated on reading the routes and the releases of the wide receivers. Gotcha. Um, 
But yeah, um, Manny Diaz's dad was the mayor of Miami from 2001 to 2009. Uh, his dad was also named Manny Diaz. Oh, okay. So, well, uh, no pride issues there. Well, at least <laughs> at least he didn't name him after a pharaoh. So there's that. He did not. He is not a, a you or know Cyrus, Saint Brown, or Amun Ra. Uh, okay. But yeah, I mean, again, Miami is the team that's got the talent. They they open against LSU and Arlington that first week. That'll be a good challenge for them. They get Florida State at home. That Virginia Tech, Georgia Tech back-to-back in November will be kind of a test for them. God, I hope we kick their ass. That'd be nice. Miami's really kind of hold, held our number for the past couple of years. You know, I, I really like I really like Travis Homer, the running back, too. He stepped in when Mark Walton got hurt last year and really put up strong numbers. So, yeah, I mean, if, you, if you, you're going to pick a favorite in the Coastal, it has to be Miami. They've got the fewest amount of questions. The questions they do have, they have the best answers. But, you know, again, Miami's had that talent on paper for years. And last year was the first year they've really been able to put it together. And last year, I mean, a lot of team, a lot of folks will step back and go, you know, Miami won a lot of games last year. They really didn't deserve to win. You know, to, to pick hey, out look. to to pick out the Georgia Tech game where on a fourth fourth and fifteen they threw in a double coverage and the ball just bounced the right way. Or all the stuff that happened before that. Yes, there was a lot <laughs> of stuff that went wrong. Like a lot of stuff with Georgia Tech season. Uh, but yeah, I think I think it's fair to say Miami's got the second strongest argument for making the championship uh, out of the ACC. I mean, they've got the strongest out of the coastal for making that championship. Uh, yeah, but that's the coastal is always a hurricane. It is. Uh, it's because there's so uh, much parody. <laughs> anyway, let's talk about kind of the opposite. Since we were talking about a team that has consistently recruited a lot of talent, Virginia Tech, I'm not saying they didn't get a lot of talent, but it seems this offseason they did a really good job of losing uh, a lot of their talent, especially on defense. I think nine of their starters are gone now. Tommy, can you verify that for me? Virginia Tech, yeah. So uh, I was actually looking at it. Um, the most interesting thing, uh, if you look at Virginia Tech's defense, is up front, they only lost um, Tim Settle, the one defensive tackle. So their line uh, looks like they should be improving upon last year, uh, return all the starters, most of their production. But like you said, um, last year there were 10 linebackers and defensive backs that were considered um consistent contributors which means they had at least 10 tackles last year um nine are gone uh and there's one junior uh reggie floyd who's who's kind of left holding everything down so um bud foster i don't think anybody would argue uh with him probably being one of the best defensive coordinators of college football all time uh definitely one of the the top 10 guys out there i don't think there's any question about that but uh, there's only so much you can do when your 2D roster is 95% freshman and sophomore. Um, that being said, they do have a lot of talent. Um, they recruited well. They'll do great. Um, the problem is that some of the guys that they were looking at, uh, including a Juco transfer, uh, tore his Achilles uh, so, uh, and Jeremy Webb. So even some of the, the guys that might have been able to fill some of the gaps uh, – are hurt um and probably the biggest loss to their defense uh would be galen scott their defensive core co-coordinator um who was dismissed from the team for using recruiting trips to further his affair 
uh, <laughs> which is quite the story, uh, and, and probably a fair reason to let him go. So to say their defense uh, is decimated would probably be an understatement. Um, the other half of the ball, um, don't look for them to really make a big leap forward. Uh, Josh Jackson entering his sophomore year, um, expect them to maybe turn the ball over a little less, uh, be a little uh, more consistent in what he's doing. Um, some of the short production might go up, but they just don't have the big um, the big play threat um, to really pull some of the pressure off of him, which was a, a large issue uh, for him last year. So still look for a lot of pressure to really get to the offense. Not a lot of uh, elite playmakers up there. So um, I think this is a year where if uh, Virginia Tech goes 6-6 six and six and make a bowl game, you you count it as a success and kind of a baseline to build off in the uh, in the future. They just they have way too many guys uh, hurt and gone. Definitely a rebuilding year. Virginia Tech is currently ranked as number fifteen on ESPN's top twenty-five. Do you think they deserve that ranking? Uh, you're talking about preseason. Yeah. Is that what you're talking about? Right yeah. Now? Preseason. Yep. yep, that's right. Because I'm gonna Allen Iverson you and say, you're talking about preseason? <laughs> talking about preseason. Nobody cares about preseason. Nothing counts. Whose line is it anyway? All the points are, or rankings are made up and nothing matters. That's why LeBron James is number 17. There you go. So, so I guess, do you, I mean, if you're looking at their schedule, they've got, they start off on the road at Florida State. They've got some easy ones, William & Mary, ECU, Old Dominion, then they go at Duke, and then that's where the schedule kind of ramps up. Then they get Notre Dame at home, at North Carolina, Georgia Tech at home, Boston College, at Pitt, Miami, and Virginia. So I can see them going like seven or eight wins possibly, but there are definitely some coin flips in there. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. I, I think the first um... – Five games are going to be really important to them. Um, and really, not even necessarily the, the Florida State game. William & Mary, East Carolina, Old Dominion, Duke. I mean, if they go 4-0 and through there before they hit Notre Dame um, and kind of that, the heart of their schedule, um, I think they, they could have a good shot at having a great season. But I, I still put them at 6-6. Six and six. Um, I just – I see too many coin – flips on there for um, them all to go their way um, and and there's a there's a couple long shots on there too uh, that I, I just don't think they I don't think they have the athletes with the experience this year to, to really get it done fair enough all right so I'm going to announce this next team and then I'm going to walk up and go to the fridge and get a drink because I know both of y'all are gonna just talk about it to no end and I have a drinking problem so, Tommy, I'll let you start off. Georgia Tech, it's our team. What are your thoughts going into this year? I'll let Andrew go first. <laughs> are we going to play race to the bottom to see who can be the most negative? I mean, I just want to see you uh, explain to me what the defensive positions of SO and SR are <laughs> and uh, explain to me the uh, 14 personnel strategy. <laughs> so, Tommy, Tommy's talking about every year – the ACC Sports Journal uh, publication that focuses obviously on the ACC 
puts out a college football preview magazine. And this year, I think whoever was doing their quality control or, you know, their review prior to publishing didn't exactly look at the Georgia Tech section because it lists 13 players as starters on defense, including two positions of SO and SR that, through my annals of football experience, don't make any damn sense. Well, and nobody else has those positions. No. They're just there. So, but to, to lead into that, you know, Georgia Tech hired a new defensive coordinator in Nate Woody from Appalachian State, spent a lot of time at Walford, you know, brings in a, a base 3-4 that's a little more aggressive, a little more attacking. It's it's a one-gap 3-4 as opposed to a two-gap 3-4, which is what we ran under Al Groh, didn't have a lot of success with. So all of you Georgia Tech fans that are pulling your hair out, they're like, oh, my God, 3-4 Al Groh. No, there's, there's a lot of subtle differences in the run fits and how we play the run, so we should be okay. The offense brings back a ton of talent. We lose Ricky June, and that's it. And do you have two offensive linemen that are gone? I think, you know, losing Shamir Devine, who is 6'7", 340, is going to be a bigger issue than the tackle. But we've got talent at all the skill positions. We've got three A-backs who I think are really, really talented in Cottrell, Searcy, and Clinton Lynch. Lynch will be healthy, which will be good to get him back at full health. And I think Cottrell's a kid to look at. The guy can fly. He had some great, you know, he's a leading rusher at A-back last year. I'm actually really looking forward to him. <laughs> he looks he looks like he's ready to explode. You know, the, the biggest questions offensively are we have to get better, better production from the tackle position because if the tackles aren't playing that well, that really limits a lot of what you can do on offense. And that can create a lot of issues where one of the things we saw last year with Marshall is – He'd get to the corner, and he'd look to pitch, and he had two or three guys in the alley. So he just eats it because if you pitch it, someone's about to get lit up, or you're going to fumble the ball. Yeah, he really understands how his position works. He does, and I think another year in the offense is going to be really helpful for him. I think a better offensive line is going to allow him a little more time to throw the ball. You know, we don't throw the ball a lot. It's, it's obviously not a huge part of what we do, but it is there. And, and I think that Georgia Tech on offense has a chance to be really, really, really good. And if the defense can better than they were, I mean, I think if we can get a top 50 S&P defense, I mean, you're looking at a team that in my mind could easily compete for the Coastal. But again, as we're Georgia Tech fans, we like to be negative. That same Georgia Tech team could again have the wheels fall off and go three and nine. I was about to say, so Andrew, I guess you're playing good cop. Tommy, are you the bad cop in this scenario? Um, I can see the potential with my rosy-eyed glasses on. Um, and when you do actually go up and down the offense about what was lost and what comes back and everything, uh, it, all the pieces are in there to have a good offense. I think the problem is that when we say good offense, I mean good for like a bunch of talent that isn't necessarily um, on the same level as what they're going to be playing against in the Coastal. Um, I, I think if you look at when I was talking about Virginia Tech, their, their biggest issue was not having the experience or the leadership um, there to really get done what they need done. But they have athletes to kind of make up for a little bit of that. I think Tech is kind of the opposite problem. I don't think we have a ton of great athletes. Um but I think we have units that have played together for a while. We have experience um, and things like that. So um, I think the biggest thing for them is to compete for the Coastal. Um, 
for the offense to really click. And then with a new uh, defensive coordinator coming in, um, uh, I hope that running that 3-4 scheme will work because in the past it hasn't when you don't have the big athletes to kind of uh, fill that spot and the big defensive line guys to, to really soak up blockers and uh, create those openings that we need to, um, which has been, frankly, the weakest part of our defense for the past couple of years is the D-line. So to be taking a guy off of that, uh, I mean, I guess I can see that if it's a weak unit, put more linebackers out there. But um, I, I just think um, the goal should be aim for around eight wins. Uh, if you can do that, um, I think you can get Johnson another year or two. Um, and if you look at his recruiting right now, um, it's back up closer to where he was when he first came in, uh, which is about a full point higher um, in 247's composite if you put any stock into that. Um, but based off of that, I think in the next two years, if you can kind of keep that going and build something, we'll be in good shape. But I think this year, being in contention for the Coastal um, is worthwhile, and aiming for eight wins would be a, uh, a resounding success. I think we can get nine, because we always have that four four or five game shift. Is that what it is? You know, the thing that to me is there are only two games on the schedule that I just don't see us having a chance at winning, and that's Clemson and Georgia. Wow, you have changed a lot, because it used to be like, there's only one game on the schedule I see us definitely winning. Whoa, 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 I'm not, no, 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 I'm not saying that we're definitely going to win the rest of those games. I'm saying there's only two games that I see us definitely losing. Okay. There's only two games that I see us definitely winning, and that's because I am not nearly as high on Bowling Green as I used to be. But every other game on the schedule is a toss-up. So there, you know, Georgia Tech could go from... 10 and 2 to 3 and 9. I mean, I again, I think Tommy's right. We're eight wins, give or take. The other side of it is Johnson just signed a contract extension through 2020. I don't know if he signs another one. I think he's getting close to wanting to retire. I would imagine. The other big side of it is for a couple of years, we, I mean, we're always going to compete at a disadvantage monetarily just because of who we are and everything involved. But we have a new AD who's really investing a lot, both monetarily and staff wise, into the program. And so I'm actually really excited to see what Stansberry and Johnson can do with better support, more support from the alumni and from the association and from the AD than he was necessarily getting from the last guy. Okay, fair. Uh, I'm going to cut it short because uh, I know we could go on about Georgia Tech all day. We may need to do a Georgia Tech-specific one where we all cry about how bad we are. Yeah, that'll be like three weeks into the season, and we can <laughs> curl up into the corner and just cry a lot. <laughs> all right. Well, Andrew, since you're already talking, I'll let you cover – I believe this was a school that you considered going to at some point. Was it Virginia? It was Virginia. I actually um, – Virginia didn't think that I was cool enough, so they didn't give me a, an offer of admission. What a darn shame. Which, to be fair, I'm pretentious enough it is, as it is. <laughs> and and could you imagine how much more pretentious I'd be if I'd gone to Virginia? You know, it was interesting. Rocco Mendenhall in an interview made a comment about how they only have 20 – like. 25 to 30 players on their roster that are ACC caliber players, which A, ask a lot of questions about the last staff and how they recruited, and ask a lot of questions about Mendenhall's two years he's recruited at Virginia. You know, they made a bowl game last year, which I think surprised everyone, uh, Virginia fans <laughs> above most of them. 
you know, this year they've got to replace a quarterback, which I think that's going to be the really interesting change. They're bringing in a guy in Bryce Perkins who was a really highly rated junior college quarterback and who is much more of an athletic dual threat player than Kirk Benkert was for him last year. So I'm really interested to see if Mendenhall goes back to the the zone read option offense stuff that he ran at BYU with Taysom Hill and had a lot of success with Taysom Hill. And so that's going to be one of my biggest things to look for with Virginia is are they looking more at that style offense than what they ran the past two years with Ben Kurt? Because I think that Mendenhall is a lot more comfortable in that offense than he is necessarily in what they ran last year. That would make a lot of sense, especially now that he's got a skill set that can actually take advantage of You know, the, the big question is they lose a lot of stalwarts defensively. They lose Andrew Brown on the defensive line, who was a really good player. They lose Quinn Blanding at safety, who was a really good player. You know, they lose Kaiser, who's a really good player at linebacker. You know, that's that's going to be the big question is how do they retool defensively for a team that was actually pretty decent defensively last year in some games. I mean, they they got blown out a couple of times too, but, you know, they, they had some talent. This year that talent's not there. So, you know, Virginia's a team that's just got to incrementally get better. I think the bowl game last year was a bit ahead of schedule. That two-game stretch at Indiana and at home against Ohio, weeks two and week three are going to be a really kind of defining stretch for their season, I feel. Because if they can come out of that 3-0, and they somewhat set themselves up to maybe steal six wins. But I just – I don't know if the talent's there for anything beyond that. I mean, that's fair. Uh, I mean, we're getting to the point where it's like you get down to the bottom and you're like, how are all these teams going to make six wins? But there yeah. are a huge amount that – pulled it off last year somebody's got to lose and you know that's that's when you start looking at schedules and somebody has to lose well on that note is one of those teams that's going to lose be duke tommy why don't you tell us so duke's an interesting one because if you uh look at everything that they return um player wise and you, you look at the team um uh, i think they have a chance at being a top 40 team um just kind of in general um you know they they have a pretty solid core coming back there on the offensive side all the skill positions for the most part are coming back the big issue that they really have um is kind of on the offensive line um i think they've got two guys they're trying to replace there um but other than that, uh, they should be in really good shape. Um, you know, they, they kind of went up and down. But I, I think Daniel Jones uh, really understands what Cutcliffe is trying to do and uh, has a good understanding with his receivers and his backs and um, gets them into the position where they need to, to be. Um, that being said, even at a top 40 team, I think looking at them getting to 500 this year uh, would be pretty difficult. Um, and really, that just comes down to their schedule. I mean, they open up with Army, uh, which is no gimme. Then they go play at Northwestern and at Baylor before they get NC, schedule, uh, NC Central. Um, so then they kind of get to the heart of their coastal games. Um, and they finish the season with Clemson and Wake. And, you know, on there, I, I think there's probably... You know, two teams. Really, I, I only see one game they should 
win, one game they should lose, and then every other game could go either way, kind of depending on how they are. I mean, that that out-of-conference um, lineup, I mean, I know people aren't super high on Baylor, Northwestern, Army across the nation, but I, those are not gimme games, and a lot of times there's a lot more to lose than to win by playing those teams from a, a national perception. Um I don't think they necessarily get the love that they they should. So, um, especially playing them that early in the season, you never know who's going to hit their stride first. So, really, if Duke goes six and six, it'll kind of be a shame because I think this is um, the team that Cutcliffe has kind of been building towards for a while. I think they have a lot of pieces in place um, and the experience uh, across the board that they're looking for, um, but the schedule just does not line up well for them. Um, and they get kind of their, their tougher games at home and their, dare I say, easier games on the road, um, which doesn't necessarily um, line up for them. It kind of sets them up for the coin to go the wrong way more often than not. Well, I mean, that's fair. I, I actually am more optimistic, but, I mean, I know their schedule doesn't line up and they've never been one of the most talented groups. All right, we're nearing the end of our coverage. Lord, I forgot how many teams are in the freaking ACC. <laughs> I can't wait till next week. Uh, Andrew, uh, do you want to tell us why Elizabeth is, should be happy about UNC this year? Well, UNC last year, what should have been just a rebuild season, having lost a lot of talent, Mitch Trubisky, Ryan Switzer on the offensive line, you know, the offense, Elijah Hood, turned into just a, a train wreck with injuries. I mean, they had... Much like Georgia Tech's 2015, guys just kept getting hurt, kept getting hurt. They couldn't settle on a quarterback. They couldn't really settle anything out. Now, the upside to that is a lot of really young guys got a lot of playing time. The you know, upside is they won what? Three games. Yeah. Um, they did beat Pitt. <laughs> you know, they're, they're going to have to settle at quarterback. It's Chaz Surratt or it's Nathan Elliott. That'll be an interesting battle. They've got some weapons in the backfield. Michael Carter, Jordan Brown. They've got another running back transfer from Ohio State who was just declared eligible. They're going to have guys that can tote the rock. You know, Fedora's an offensive guy. It's going to be interesting to see what he can do with some pretty new guys on the offensive line, but all these guys played. You know, we call them new, but they played a lot last year because of injuries. You know, Anthony Ratliff-Williams at wide receiver is a legit player. He's a great player. He's fun to watch. You know, their biggest questions, as I said, at quarterback, and then it's going to be on defense. They lost MJ Stewart on defense at corner. You know, they lost uh, Jonathan Smith, linebacker. It was really good for him. And they've struggled defensively. They haven't been able to stop the run, which has really been one of their biggest issues. So, you know, I think they're a team that, having learned and grown from that injury, again, I think I think there's a shot at a 6-6 six and six record. They're out of conference. They open up at California, which is going to be a tough game. They lost that game last year. You know, the other game is going to be against the defending national champions, the University of Central Florida Knights, uh, the third week of the season. That'll be a pretty good game. But I'm actually tempted to buy tickets to that game. You could probably get them. I know it's part of their three three game pack for they're the like, radio. They're like thirty bucks. It's not bad. It's not bad. And honestly, North Carolina is a fun place to watch a game. Oh, it's yeah. a neat little stadium, kind of tucked down between the pines. But you know, I, I mean, they completely they're... disagree with that statement. That is the most boring stadium to watch sports in I've ever been in. Have you? Have it you? It feels like a high school game, but not in the South, where people just really don't care and they're there for 
a little bit of a social outing, but they're not really that excited about it. Are you sure have, you're not thinking have, of have you been to Duke or Virginia? <laughs> I've been to Virginia, and when it rains, that is one of the funnest stadiums. Well, ever. yeah, it's because they're getting their asses kicked, and they turn the hill into a water slide. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> But, yeah, you know, I think UNC, a bowl game would definitely be a step in the right direction to kind of get over the blip of last year. You know, they are young at some places, so that'll be the other side of it is, kind of like you said with Virginia Tech, it's a bit of a building year. You know, next year's probably the year you really look to them to, to make a challenge or to, to kind of raise some eyebrows. Okay. So, yeah, I guess we're just not – are we expecting them to make a bowl game? I mean, it, I see it. You know, the toss-up games, Pitt, Virginia, Duke, State. Us at on homecoming? Yeah, us on homecoming, which they've beaten us at home the past couple of years. I mean, that's the problem when you run into, especially in the Coastal, is you have Miami, and then everyone else is so close to each other that you can almost flip a coin any Saturday and see who wins the game. We'll see if we can avoid fighting any UNC fans this year. That jerk, I still don't understand why he was so angry. <laughs> and his wife was like, oh, he'll hit you in the face. What? No, you're supposed to... This is staying in, by the way. Uh, That's fine. Tommy. I don't know why that guy wanted to fight us. He was oh, just angry, I guess. No, I'm sorry. Artem, you're back. Um, why don't you tell us about Pitt? Man, this is going to be an interesting one to watch this season. Um, you know, this is Pat and our doozies third fourth season now and he's expecting he's expected to put up some good numbers he had a pair of eight and five seed. they didn't make a bowl game last season for the first time in 11 years 10 years um they have a lot of big question marks honestly uh they got a couple graduate transfers that they put together on offensive line um their quarterback looks like it's going to be this guy named kenny pickett after uh max brown the uh USC, USC guy that transferred is out. He's ended his career with a shoulder injury. A uh, guy after him transferred to an FCS school. So this is sophomore that's thrown a total of 66 passes. Um, a lot of question marks there. They do have a couple of good wide receivers coming back in Rafael uh, Arujo Lopez and Maurice French with two Fs to start his name. Um, they're they're good, but they don't have a, a down. Right, so uh, teams are going to be playing a lot of press coverages and uh, bumping and running them. Uh, they do have a guy who's 6'4", 205. That's really fast, but he has to prove himself. He's only had 22 catches in the last two seasons. That's only the offense. On the defense, their secondary just doesn't, you know, it seems like uh, what else you, offense or defense coordinators have dealt with the last couple of years. Um, if you leave LSU as a defensive coordinator, you're used to a certain level of talent on your team. And uh, you leave, uh, for example, like uh, A&M picked up the uh, Chavis, the LSU defensive coordinator, he came to A&M, he didn't have the same level of talent on the defense, and, you know, he his scheme just <laughs> uh, was able to be read like a book, double, double A blitz gap on third down every single time, um, and offense is going to start throwing some uh, tight end passes for touchdowns. So, uh, Pat Narduzzi's coming in the same situation. Uh, he's comes from Washington State where there's a lot of defensive talent on that side of the ball and he doesn't have the same at Pitt. Um, he's got the 127th uh, pass defense uh, his first year and 106th pass defense in the country his second year. 
because he likes to play a lot of man press and in man, in man press you can get beat deep bad um, it, it'll be interesting kind of where they eventually pan out I don't think it'll be another good year for them better than a seven year but I wouldn't expect uh, the eight and five seasons that that Notre Dame started with just because there's a lot of question marks across them. All right. Well, it comes to my attention that I have forgotten a team, um, which, you know, it's kind of like a lot of ACC teams every year or a lot of football teams in general. I think a lot of people forget about Syracuse. So, Tommy, why don't you tell us about the team we forgot about? Yeah, so the reason you forgot about them is because um, the Dino Babers has yet to really finish a seat. Um, if you look at his, he's entering his third year. Uh, in September and October of his first two years, he's gone 8-8. Eight and eight, and in November, he's gone 0-8. Oh um, so just really needs to figure out how to finish um, a season um when you look at that and you really start breaking down the numbers and things what you'll notice is that they're giving up you know like 70 percent more points in the second half of the season and they're scoring about 85 to 90 percent of the points that they were on offense so while the offense does kind of take a step back it's the defense that really seems to fall apart for them um some of that is turnovers um, but a lot of that is just um, a, a lack of depth. Um, if you look at their uh, contributors in their linebacker and secondary core from last year, um, there were only 17 defenders with 10 or more tackles, uh, which really is not a lot of players. It shows you that there's not a lot of depth. There's a lot of guys playing a lot of downs that are probably wearing themselves out. Um, and even more um, troublesome is... There's a couple of those guys who only played about a third of the season, like four, three, four games um, of those 17 defenders. So those guys are logging a lot of downs, um, can be very brutal on the body, uh, which kind of makes sense. Uh, So luckily most of those guys come back, uh, and there's uh, a decent recruiting class coming in. I wouldn't say great, um, but they – they have a chance to, to take a step forward this year. Um, you know, like I said, they went 500 in the, the first two-thirds of the season under Dino Babers. So um, if they can really kind of finish it out, I, I, I think five and six, um, five and seven, you know, they can get to a bowl game type thing uh, situation. Uh, if there's not enough teams qualify, I, I think that's something that's probably a fair prediction from them the nice thing for them is i think they're being in the atlantic it's a little weaker in the in the bottom half of that division so i I think there's a couple teams they have a shot at beating uh when you look at like a team like wake forest or a team like boston college um the other nice thing is that if you actually look at their schedule they open up pretty strong um or pretty good opportunity um so um, their first two games are Western Michigan and West, which are definitely very much winnable for them. Um, don't overlook Western Michigan. They're not quite what they were under P.J. Fleck, but uh, they, 
definitely a team that they can win. Then they kind of get into they've got Florida State, Connecticut, and Clemson. So if they can um, beat Connecticut without trying to look forward to Clemson or feeling defeated from Florida State, um, that's when they kind of get into the heart of their um, their toss-up games. You know, your UNC's, Pitts, NC State, Wake, Louisville. Um, those are the games, that's the core of the schedule where they, they really um, can kind of cement themselves and give themselves a shot. And then finishing at Boston College gives them a good opportunity to end the season on a high note and getting a win in the last game. Um, I, I think that alone would be a, a big selling point for Dino Babers in his third year because, like we said, he's got to learn how to finish. I'm also really excited about that game against Notre Dame at MetLife Stadium. That would be a fun one to watch because whenever stuff happens in neutral site fields, weird things tend to happen. And it's in New Jersey, which is just a strange place. Yeah, I mean, the Jets play there. So and the Giants. Need, need we say more? All it's right. a silly place. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, it's been fun, but uh, it's a late night, so I think we're going to wrap it up. Uh, let's really quick conference championship picks and playoff picks so andrew who do you got coming out of clemson versus flip a coin and clemson wins and makes the playoffs okay so you don't see a chance the playoff clemson does not make the playoffs i mean is it possible sure is it probable Uh, not really fair enough tommy do you agree with that statement um, I agree with Clemson versus who cares because they're going to lose to Clemson. Um, as far as making the playoff, I don't know. Playoffs kind of turning into a joke. It's all kind of commercializing and whatever. It's all opinion based. So who really cares? So I guess it's just too early to say. Too early for random guessing is what you're telling like me. Like I said, preseason? You asked about preseason? Sounds about right. Artem, any thoughts? I'm going to say rematch uh, Clemson versus Miami. Okay. Hopefully they don't embarrass themselves again. I'm going to say Clemson versus Duke because weird stuff happens in the ACC. All right, guys. Well, that's going to... Coastal Wheel of Destiny? (laughs) Yeah, I think so. Something's... There's going to be some kind of weird kick return at the last second or some ball is going to bounce off a guy into another guy for a field goal attempt. There's going to be a couple of hurricanes that'll just shut down everybody. Anyway, weird stuff happens. Alright guys, it's been fun, but I think we're going to shut it down now. Thanks as always to our listeners for tuning in. If you have any questions or comments, shoot us an email at tomeatsleather at gmail.com and check us out on Twitter at tomeatsleather.com